Uh, my name's Aaron, I to preach today, and uh, we're finishing up our series called Socially Connected. We're talking about how do we make deep connections in a superficial age, and really talked about how in our world, despite the fact that we have a lot of social networks and a lot of uh, things that where people uh, can connect, that we're not connecting deep. And so there's a lot of loneliness and a feeling of isolation, and, and that's just not how God made us. And so we looked into God's Word, and we said, how does, uh, how does the, the Word of God instruct us in this? Because you know, God does care about how people interact. And we found a whole lot. And, and in fact, through this study, I hope that you realize that uh, there are some amazing solutions that God has to this. The church is really a, a credible place and a body. Uh, in this we, we fellowship, which is the first solution really to loneliness is getting together with other people. And you're like, well, of course that makes sense, except for the fact that in our culture we get ourselves so busy we look for every reason not to get together with everyone. Right? We think this is something that maybe we should just uh, put on the back burner and, and uh, with, uh, so many other things I'm so worried and I've got so many stresses in life that uh, if I can think of something to drop, then getting together in fellowship and coming to church seems to be something that's very easy for us to, to put away. But realizing that in the Word, it says this is something that should be of highest priority. And we find that when we do that, there's a a sense of connection that we gain, a renewing and a refreshing. And I think it's a powerful thing. The fellowship is essential. And the, the deeper we get in fellowship, right, the, the, um, the more trust, the more vulnerability you have to have in that, right? And so in a larger group like church, there's a certain level that we can have. We share Christ in common. There's some great things there. But to really to become known and to, to share that, uh, you know, the joys and the sorrows and all those things in life with people in a deeper way, you have to have a smaller group. And so in the church body, ever since the very beginning, we did that wonderful memory verse, right, from Acts. And it said that, they, you know, they were, they were, the disciples were devoted. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and that's, you know, the word, but they also into the fellowship, breaking of bread into prayer. And they got together and they met in each other's homes. And that's not something that I think had an expiration date, that we learned that fellowship is, a, is an important thing. Last week we talked about, too, we have to have a foundation. We can fellowship on a lot of things. Uh, we can fellowship on our political ideas. We can fellowship on, on hobbies, right? We can fellowship on all kinds of things. Unfortunately, most of those things don't go deep enough. That we were designed at a, at a very deep soul level. That we, we want this connection. And so the Word of God invites us to, found, uh, to, uh, to fellowship right there in, in, in the Word itself, to find this foundation, this, this bedrock from which we can say there's something true in this, there's something more, and it reveals something much deeper about us. The Word of God, it, it becomes our standard because it is the Word of God. It becomes a, a key that unlocks our hearts. It becomes this point that it can show us who we are like a mirror. It reveals things about us, that some things that we're not so happy that it reveals, but we're happy because it helps us to change those things. It also reveals the strengths and the amazing things that God has done for us. And as the people of God, we don't just fellowship on shallow things. We have so much more than a sports team in common. That we have God himself. And his word, which is truth, reveals deeper things about us, which allows us to connect in a much deeper way. And why is it essential then that we, as a church, as a people of God, we connect and study that the Word of God and the Bible has got to be there in a primary part of our life where we begin to, to, to go to that and say, this is true, and we not only agree with this together, 
but it is, it is the very foundation of who we are. It tells us who we are. And so we connect, of course, we come to church, part of the things that we do. Like today, we're going to be going into the Word of God like we do every Sunday. And we study it, and we find this, this commonality and this depth that's there. But also in our life groups where we take that and we go even deeper, which is an important thing in your personal time with God, in your study. That's an important thing. And today, we're going to discuss one last thing that the Word of God really talks about and how we draw deeper connections. And it has to do with this, that when we become selfish, we isolate ourselves, don't we? When, when all of a sudden, the gravitational field in our life revolves around us, right? And everything's around, no one really wants to be around that for very long. When you become a me monster, when everything is about you and your comfort and, and everything that you do has got to have a payoff for you right then that you can see, right? When it, your life is about you, you become isolated. And it's one of those things that um, we find over and over and over again. Because you can't have love when you're selfish. There's love by its very nature, its definition, is caring for another above yourself, which is the opposite of selfishness. And deep relationships must be those that are rooted in love. And so today we're going to talk about uh, the third pillar or the thing, the secret. I think it's a powerful tool and truth of how we connect deeply, and that is through service. And service has got to be an expression of love, not of charity or anything else, but an expression of love. And we're going to talk about how do we find that. Now, this is not something that, of course, we just made up. We find it in the Word of God. In our memory verse today, Galatians 6, 2, even talks about this. It says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, do any of you remember what the law of Christ is? A new command I give you? Love one another. That's the law of Christ. How do we fulfill it? Carry each other's burdens. There has to be an an applicable expression of love for it to truly be love. Don't you love that? I love it in places in the Bible where it's not like, you might fulfill the law of Christ if you do this. You will. It's not some secret thing. You don't have to climb a mountain and you know, visit a guy with a big, long goatee or anything. There's no secret to this. Carry each other's burdens. And how do I know what your burdens are? Well, I have to know you. That's fellowship. How do I know how to carry them? Well, that's what the Word of God helps us with. We have to be deep in that. But then there's this last step. We've got to put it together. And we're going to talk about that today. And we find that in the Word, it tells us that we are called to serve others. I think that's a, uh, pretty obvious, carry each other's burdens. So if you have your Bibles, if you wouldn't mind turning them to uh, Romans chapter 12. Okay, and if you have one of our Bibles, it's going to be on seven, page 789. If uh, you need a Bible, we've got lots of them in the back, and you can keep one uh, as our gift to you. Uh, and so... In Romans chapter 12, Romans is a great book written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome. And uh, they didn't get an apostle to go visit them early on. So he, he writes this. It was a, it's an amazing thing. Can you imagine having this uh, uh, letter from the, the apostle inspired by God, teaching them what is our faith all about? Uh, to a, mostly to these Gentiles. There were some Jews, and a lot of them were, this is a whole new concept of who God is and why the gospel and all this amazing uh, work that really explains our faith and depth. And we get down to, to chapter 12, getting near the end of this, and there's this huge point of application about all of this truth of Scripture. How is this becoming alive in our life? What is it supposed to look like? And so we get into chapter 12, and it starts with that wonderful word, therefore. 
Therefore what? Well, therefore all of these reasons of what we believe and what is true and, and, and who we are. Therefore, because of all of this, what are we supposed to do? I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve. Just a second, because I have something in my hand. Test and approve what, Aaron? In suspense, here we go. Test and approve what is God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us has a body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift of prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then encourage. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. See, love must be sincere. So hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another and love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people all who are in need and practice hospitality. Isn't that amazing? What a wonderful call that we've been given. And you see all the action points that are in there? See, our faith starts with believing, right? We have to have this fellowship, we belong, and then we believe in the right things as study, but there's this thing that says, you know what? Yeah, we're not saved by what we do, but we are saved so we can do some really cool things. There's so much about our faith that has called us to action. And in this passage, that it starts at that, uh, that 12.1, I think there is that call, I urge you, he says. There's this point in the Christian faith that, yeah, you can be a Christian and not do these things, but you miss out. And when we die, our faith goes cold, right? And it becomes not very appealing to a dying world because they see there's no difference. There's an urging that the apostle does. That's why you guys get letters from me and phone calls from me and, and emails and from time to time I'm, I'm urging you, trying to remind us about what is, because I know how distracting this world can be. But is this, so we have to be urged. There's something to remember that there is something bigger that we're living for. And the scripture itself, the apostles and Christ is calling us to something bigger. Do we want to live for something better than just how I can get through this week? I urge you, there's a call. But you know, that call, as it calls us to be consecrated. It says, you know, to, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. This isn't that kind of uh, graphic? And Jesus said, if you want to find life, lay down your life, lose your life, then you're really going to find it. And it seems so counterintuitive, but we find in life how true it is. How many people go and they gain the whole world and lose their soul? How tragic. How many people have worked their entire life for a career only to see it end because we all age out and then realize that their whole identity and everything was wrapped up in their accomplishments and without those, who are they? 
And see, we live forever in Christ, and there is something bigger that we are working towards. But in order to live for that, we've got to stop living for me. I've got to stop being selfish. There's a level of self-sacrifice that is absolutely necessary for us to be effective in the kingdom. There's a level of self-sacrifice that is absolutely necessary for us to experience love and to give love. You have to stop living for comfort. So the enemy always comes into our life like an angel of light, doesn't he? And he says, be comfortable. You don't need to do this. Here are a thousand excuses as to why you shouldn't have to do these things. You shouldn't have to lay down your life. You shouldn't have to put away your preferences. You, shouldn't, you deserve to rest right now. You should be comfortable. This should be about you. You deserve it. The enemy loves to talk about what we deserve, but Scripture tells us what we deserve. And it says that we didn't get that. Praise God. Instead of getting what we deserve, we got a precise that we didn't, the grace of God, a place in his kingdom, and a call that, outsta- that just outmatches anything that we ever could have achieved on our own. So we were called to this, go and lay down your life. There are things that you love that if you cling to those things will keep you from actually experiencing true love. Lay them down. We have to stop living for what I want for me and start asking God, what do you want for me? And trusting that our God actually wants better for my life than I do. Do you believe that? Because there are times in my life, I have to be honest, that I don't. There are times in my life where I crawl up on that altar and I feel that it's going to be very painful and there are things that I have to sacrifice. And I ask myself, do, does God really have my best? And I look at how all the apostles and the prophets, when they came in and they served the Lord, what happened to all of them? Persecution and death. And in this world, there are things that look like, well, maybe I would do better if I just ran my own life. But what a temporary way to look at things. They were here for maybe 50, 60 years, some of them, some less. But now what do they have? Eternal crown of splendor? Purpose? (laughs) We are here often mostly because they laid down their life for the cause and the call. Which of us would be here if the Apostle Paul hadn't brought the gospel to the Gentiles? You know, sometimes it's just not about you. And God says, don't worry about it, I've got you. Do you want life? He's given you eternal life. Do you want rewards? He's given you tons of rewards, things that we, grace upon grace. Do you want significance? He's called you his own child, a prince and a princess of the kingdom. If you want power, he says, listen, you're part of the royal family of heaven forever. Right? Do you want wealth? You get his wealth. Everything that is Christ's is yours. But he says, but you have to lay down you. And that starts with very practical things. Yes, material things that I have. I've got to stop thinking about This is mine, but first saying, I am the Lord's, and so is everything. It goes with my time. Every breath I take is something that God has granted to me. Am I willing to say that my time is not really mine, but it is the Lord's as well? How about the the abilities that God has given me? I was born with things that I'm just good at. Do I use those only for self-gain? Or can I say, if God gave these to me, these are also the Lord's, not just mine? I'm not just intrinsically awesome. You know, God could have given me an amazing singing voice, you know, and I could, right? If he did that, would it have made me a different person? No, it means that God would have given me that. God couldn't give me a mind that I could, you know, design rocket ships. He could have done it, but he didn't. But if he did, would that make me a a different person? No, it means that God gave me a gift. 
Do I use the gifts that God has given me to bless others? There is this consecration to say, I am consecrated to God. He bought me with a price. That's what the therefore is there for. Remember who we are. And that's the charge. We have to lay down our life and the challenge. Not just a a sacrifice, but the way that we do it. It says, offer yourself your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You know how hard that is? It's one thing to say, well, fine, God, I'm just going to be here to sacrifice and have a bad attitude about it. That's not holy and pleasing. The Lord wants us to live in a different way. The way that we live, our attitude and our actions, we have to start thinking it's not about pleasing me anymore, but it's about pleasing others. And truly, it's about pleasing God. I'm not here just to make other people happy. I'm here to love other people. And in so doing, I'm supposed to be showing my love for God, pleasing Him. And that is the attitude. It's not the the attitude of saying, no, God, okay, God, I'm going to do this because I have to. But yes, Lord, because I trust that you're good and because you've already been so good to me. And that is difficult. And the only way we can achieve that is we continue to encourage one another in this, right? Which is why we find this, that we're supposed to do that. However, we find in here that doing this, laying our lives down, saying our very bodies, which means our time, our talents, our treasure, everything that we have, whilst we are here saying, God, it is yours, and I will use it for you, right? Guess what that is? Is that like super A plus super saint? This is what it says here. This is your true and proper worship. I love the Greek. It says this is your reasonable act of worship. This is just, this is just makes sense. When you're a Christian, you understand that we live forever and here is so temporary and what we deserved in this world is so awful for what we have done and how we betrayed God and how great He is, how much He truly loves us, proven by the fact that He died on a cross for our sins and then rose again and says, I will let you rise again too. When we recognize how amazing God is, it makes sense that we would say, yes, I devote myself to you, Lord. We recognize that God is true when he says, listen, there are a lot of people in this world that worry about all kinds of things, but I will take care of you. Just seek my kingdom and my righteousness first, and I will take care of you. It makes sense. He would say, yes, then, God, I will seek your kingdom and righteousness. Reasonable. It is not reasonable for Christians to go and to say, how can church serve me? It is not reasonable for Christians to say, I will serve this so long as I get something out of it. You have already been given everything. And God says, don't just lay your life down a little bit. We're not to put our finger on the altar. We are to crawl there in in our entirety, our body. This is the call, and it is not easy, but it is wonderful, and it is freeing. And God says, if you do this, if you lay down your life, you're going to find life like you have never imagined. Are you tired of being burdened by the things of this world, keeping you up at night with anxiety? Are you tired of feeling like you're not living for enough, like you're something more? Are you tired of being isolated and lonely thinking, it's just about me? Are you tired of this? Then be free from it. The Lord beckons us to the altar and he says, lay it down. And as soon as we do, we find the very thing that we thought we were striving for so hard. So let's do it. And the thing is, it's a command. We're supposed to do it. And I think that the powerful thing is it says then. That then is, is, is important. It's an if-then scenario. If you don't lay your life down for this, if you don't put your life on the altar, your very body there, you don't get the then. But if you do, it's not that you might. 
It's a then. It will happen. Then what? Well, then you'll be able to prove what God's will is. His good, perfect, pleasing will. Do you ever want to know what God's will is? Have you ever wondered, God, what do you want in my life? What do you want from me, Lord? I want your wisdom. I want to know what's next. you ever wondered that? It is not a mystery. People are like, what do I need to do to find out? I'm asking God, what should I do? He's told you what you should do. Lay down your life for him. Seek his kingdom, his righteousness first. Do that. Then, then you'll be able to approve what God's will is. You're going to be able to know it. His good, get that. His good is perfect. It's pleasing. God doesn't call us to the onerous. He doesn't call us to to live lives that are wasted. He calls us to take our wives that we have wasted, our horrible, these lives that we've just lived for so self. He says, put that away and I'll give you something of value. His will is good for you. And it's good for everybody else too because that's how amazing our God is. If you want to know what God, if you're sitting in a place in your life right now saying, I wonder what God wants from me, here's the thing. Start asking this. What should you do? What is God asking of you? In your life right now, and I bet you can probably would take maybe 10 nanoseconds for you to rethink about what's one area of my life that maybe uh, I know that I'm not walking step in step with God. That I know there's something he wants from me and I'm not giving it. Well, start there. And if you need encouragement, ask somebody. That's what the fellowship is about. And if you don't have any fellowship people that you know well enough that you could ask, then start there. (laughs) Get in fellowship. Make church a priority. Join a life group. Get to know other Christians. Begin there. We should not be wandering around wondering what God wants from us. He's not hiding. He says it's here for you. But we have to start by laying down ourselves. You know this thing, when we start laying our life down, if something powerful happens to him, to us, it says that we're, we're, going, to, we're going to be changed. Right, we're going to be conformed. Our very thinking conforms to the, to the very thinking of Christ. We're not going to be conformed to the ways of this world. And think of the thinking of this world. How silly it is. Work really hard so that someday you don't have to work so hard so that someday you wish that you could still work so that way then you're going to die. That's the dumbest way to live. There is a better way. Don't let your mind be conformed to the way of this world that says it's all about you, because it's not. Because if everybody thinks it's about them, then it's never about anybody. And everybody has to fight one another to get anything they want. We live in a world of just constant toil and trouble, don't we? Don't conform to that pattern. But it says it's a different way. Lay down your life. Change the way you start to think. That means we're going to think different than the people of this world, and it will look different. And we're going to start to think better ways good, pleasing, perfect ways. Isn't that cool? It's a transformation. It doesn't happen instantly. It's not like you wake up the next day and you're like, oh, I have the perfect mind of Christ. But it is this. I wake up the next day and all of a sudden my motivations begin to change and I start to notice things in the world that I hadn't seen before. And I start to care about people in ways that I had never seen before. And I start to find joy in my life that I never knew was there before. And I start to see God's hand in my life in ways that I never had seen it before because my eyes are now being opened and my mind's being transformed in a new way. And though I had eyes, I realized I was never able to fully see and I had ears and I hadn't heard what he was saying. But now I have eyes and I can see and ears and I can hear. And I now am able to embrace the life that God has for me. That is for you. And it is amazing. And I urge you, 
be transformed. It completes us. It makes us a different kind of person. That's what we're called to be. The Christians, we are called to serve one another in a a profound way. But we're also designed to serve together. Isn't it amazing that this passage talks about by the death of self, which is the opposite of selfishness? When you say to self, no! Right? I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to live for Christ. In that very same passage, it's not you can't do it alone. For every Christian who thinks that you don't need to be part of the body, that you can go and visit with Christians outside of, of, of the fellowship and all of this, and that's enough. For every Christian who says, listen, I can do my own thing. The word of God is very, very strong on this and says you've missed the point. You can't do it alone. You weren't designed to do it alone. That's not how God made it. It says, for by the grace given to me, every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. You are not the Savior. Neither am I. And isn't that great? You can't do this alone. You're not going to build God's kingdom by yourself. You weren't made to. Just like every part of my car, I've got an engine, but if I didn't have a transmission, it wouldn't get me anywhere, would it? No part is, is all important, and neither are you. You are valuable here. You matter here, but you matter here because we all have to come together here. But you can't do it by yourself. Neither can I. So don't think of yourself more highly than you but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Remember who you are. Remember the greatness of our God. Remember the fact that you are God, and that's good. But he's called you to be part of something. And you have the obligation the responsibility to be a part of it. You're needed, but you're also needy. It says, For just of us have one body with many members, and these members don't have the same function, so in Christ we are many. Though we are many, we form one body, and each member belongs to the others. That's why we have the right to say to one another, Hey, I miss seeing you. Hey, how are you growing in Christ? See, when I'm sick, you're sick. That's the way it works. I belong to you, which is why you have the right to look into my life and to say, Aaron, here's some areas that I think that maybe aren't lining up with the word. And you know, there have been a lot of times in my life where I've been so blessed to have brothers and sisters in my life that come alongside me and say, you're out, of, you're out of line with this, and we need to help you align back up to it. And they help me get there. Because they also recognize that if I'm growing in Christ, they're healthier in Christ. We belong to one another. You are not an isolated person. You are not an island. God didn't make you that way. He made you, designed you to fit. And when you're missing, we all hurt. It's not about you. I think it's an amazing thing. So we think about ourselves with sober judgment. How am I living? If I'm doing things, I look at my life and I'm not benefiting the body, and I'm not benefiting Christ, then I'm living for the wrong thing. And not only am I hurting myself, but I'm hurting the body of Christ. Did Jesus die and give you a new life and a new hope and a new purpose only for you to wound him? We have to think about why and the motivations of what we're doing. He's given you great purpose and power and responsibility. And so he calls us to come together. Every one of you is important. Everyone. And everyone is needed. And therefore it says that we're all one body. We have different gifts. So if you have a gift, use it. We did all these series this year that says, listen, stop being on the sidelines. God's team doesn't have a bench. Isn't that cool? 
All of us are first stringers. Every single one of us. We've been called on this service. doesn't matter if you're young, if you're old, if you're brand new in Christ, you've been in Christ for, for many, many years. It doesn't matter if you're a quiet person or a loud person or a shy person. Or it doesn't matter. Every one of us has been called to do something in his kingdom. We're called to work together. I get the great job. Of, this is my calling to help put it together. But it doesn't matter if I'm putting together a bunch of people that aren't working, then I'm putting together a, a broken puzzle. You are important. So do it. Do your work. And don't do it for you. God's already rewarded you. Do it for him. And you know what? When we love God, Jesus said, you know, the, the greatest commandment, love God with everything, our heart, soul, mind, strength, right? He says in the second one, I love how he adds it. He says this, to love other people, our neighbors, as much as we love ourselves. You can't love God if you're just sitting around all day praying. At some point, he says, you know, I'm praying for these people, which is important. I'm doing things. He also says, if you have the power to help, help. Do it. Work together. And how do we help? Do I help all by myself? No, because who's going to get the glory if I'm the person out there that's a good Samaritan that's out just helping people all alone? You will. Can you save anybody? No. But as the body of Christ, as we come together and we work together and we serve together and we love this world together, who gets the glory? Christ does. And can Christ save anybody? Oh, yeah. That's why. Our testimony is spoken by our lives far louder than any words we could ever speak. If we claim to be people of love and who have been loved, then we need to express that love and we express it together. How do we do that? Well, it's things like the church. Yes, we're going to be signing cards and, and writing notes of encouragement and pray, and actually praying for people who have gone through a flood, which we know all too well what that is like. And we'll be donating and, and giving them gift cards to like Target and Walmart and things like that and, and Safeway or wherever you get your gift cards to, Home Depot. And that's going to show them love in a practical way. It seems small, but it's a church that's reaching out to them by the name of the body of Christ. I know there are other people that are in the body of Christ that you have friends, family, members that you know that are down there in affected areas. There are some things in the church that we can come together and go down and help. There are ways that we can serve in practical ways. Think about Crossroads. What an amazing ministry in Estes Park, showing God's love in a real way to people when they need it most. How many people of our church are actually engaged in that? A lot. How cool is that? It's one of those things that our church doesn't just help financially, but with bodies and with people and with prayers. Do all of us do that? No. A lot of us are serving in other cool ways, but we serve together, and it is the body of Christ that helps, right? We serve as a church, and we serve the needs of our community in deep and profound ways, and there are many new and important ways that we can do it. We can do even more still. But we have to start with you, not everybody else, what they are doing, but you, how are you serving? Because this challenge isn't just for the body, it is for the person, it is the Christian. It starts by laying down your life. Serve together. Do your best. We're responsible for it. And I love how it says there, verse 9, uh, you get to this, how it says, it says, love must be sincere. So we're going to hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And, and New Living, or the Living Bible, it says, don't pretend that you love others, actually love them. Actually, John, First John actually says that too. Hey, brothers, sisters, let's not just say that we love one another with, word, with, with our words, but also with our actions, right? James tells us the same thing. Don't just say to somebody, hey, I'm praying for you, be well fed, be warm, but actually, if you can help that person, do it. Let's put our love into action. There's this 
It's saying that love has to be sincere. It's got to be true. Our love, if you're looking in your life and you say, your energies and your times, are they spent most of the time thinking about how I can make myself comfortable, how people should be serving me? You're focusing the wrong way. And it's a great thing that the word of God is that wonderful mirror that says, oh, wait a second, I need to be focusing something else. But if you begin to love others, the coolest thing in your life happens. Jesus said, if we love others, that's what you're going to get. Love, right? You don't be deceived. It says you, you always harvest what you plant. If you want to have love and encouragement in your life, you want others to care about you, start caring about others. Start loving through the body as part of the church, right? Begin serving in real, true ways, not just show. And in this, then, we, we honor and respect one another as the way that we serve. Um, it says, you know, be devoted to one another in love. In verse 10, honor one another above yourselves. And see, in, in the body of Christ, we look to one another as we're serving and we're caring for each other's needs, not out of pity, but out of compassion. And we honor each other and we lift each other up and we say, how can I come alongside you? Because guess what? You're not God either, right? And we were made to fit together. So if there's something you need, that's not a point of shame. It's a fact that you are part of a body and it's actually healthy. So let's work together, honor one another, love one another, say, you are worth my time, you are worth my effort, you are worth my compassion and my care. I'm honoring you because God has honored us and he has made us something great. So we're devoted to one another. And in this, we don't lack zeal, but we keep our spiritual fervor. Have you been in a time in your spiritual faith where you've been dry, where it feels like you're distant from God, where it feels like you're kind of going through the desert? (laughs) Start loving other people. Start caring for them, living in your life in true service. Stop being insulated and, and, and selfish, but start living outward and helping. You'll be amazed at how your faith comes alive because you will see the hand of God in a new way, right? You will actually see him working through you, and that is amazing. Your faith will not grow cold if we stay together and we serve one another and we serve with one another in love. This is what the word says. So if you're at a place that you're cold, the answer is not to go away. It's not that you're defective. The fact is that you're just not close enough. Come and serve and love and grow. You know, lay down your life and find life. Verse 12, as it ends, there's this wonderful promise that says, then be joyful in hope. Do you need joy? Are you looking at the world around us and seeing the earthquakes and the hurricanes and the fires and the floods and crazy people with horrible weapons and all these things in this world and could you use hope be joyful in it so we have a reason for joy we know god's already got this world and he's got the next and he's doing something purposeful and good and perfect and pleasing today and that is for you there's joy but we need to start living for it and living in it and that's where the joy is that helps us be patient in this affliction. Life's going to be hard. But we know it's not going to last forever. We know that we're loved and we're cared for. And that I'm hurting, others are helping. That's just the way that it works in a, in a loving relationship. And we are a body that cares for one another. And we can be patient then. Because there is reason for hope. And in that, we can be faithful in our prayer for one another. Prayer is not a burden. It is a joy. And if you want to be a place to say, I can actually care for one another, get to know each other. It's amazing how easy it is to pray for somebody you're actually serving, isn't it? And how hard it is to pray for people you have no idea who they are and their problems see so different, distant. So be, be faithful in prayer. And it starts with love.
And in that it says, share with the Lord's people all who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is the community of Christ. This is the better way. Jesus is coming back, and he is. There's a time that I don't know the day, like some people claim to, but I do know this. I know the certainty. He is returning. And there's a day that every one of us is going to stand before our creator, and we're going to give an account for our life. And we're going to say, this is what I did with my time. And guess what? I'm not going to be there for you standing in your stead. I will answer for how I loved you and encouraged you in this, but there's a day that you yourself will stand before your creator and give an account for your life. When that day comes, live your life now in such a way, a life of love, so that you can say to him, this is what I've done, imperfect as it was, and you will hear that wonderful thing, well done, well done. That's what we're called to. But you know, if we do that, you don't have to worry about, is God going to say well done? Because you're going to know it in your own life today. As you lay down your life in this world, as you say no to selfishness, as you say no to the small living that is so easy, the siren song of this culture that tells us to live for the little pleasures that, that steal our life away, and you say no to those things and start living for bigger things, you start to love one another and care for one another, you start to grow in deep relationships, you will find that there is already joy in, in the Lord in your life today. There is hope that you never knew that you could have. There is peace that that you can cling to that will carry you through crazy things. You will be steady and stable. But you will also have a life of passion. If that is what you need, then I urge you, brothers and sisters, lay down your life, holy and pleasing to God. Let's carry each other's burdens. Because in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So how do we practice that? Well, we talked about this series. There's three things that we said that are necessary for us to live in a deeper way, right? We've got to start with fellowship. Love one another. Coming to church is not so much about you, right? This is a worship service, but we're not serving you. Zach, me, the worship band, all these other people, we're not serving you. We're serving Christ. And we're helping lead that, but it's not just that we're serving Christ. You are serving Christ. How are you serving Christ? By being here is a big step. You're saying to the world and to God, you're worth it. You deserve my worship. Your body, even though those people are imperfect and I don't want to get up some mornings, I'm going to be because it's not about me. You know what a powerful message a testimony is when your family is here every single week just sitting there, same row, consistently? Right? The testimony that is, to say this is something important and encourages one another. It says you are valuable fellowship by joining a life group and getting to say listen i love other people yeah i might even like these people at first but i'll learn to love them typically we like them but you say i'm going to take time out of my busy schedule i'm going to say that that faith is important it's not about me but i'm going to help them grow deeper too that's a huge thing sacrificing yourself for others is an enormous thing fellowship is huge we, we talked about this we have we study we have to learn that it's not our ways, that we don't have it all figured out. We have to start with that humility and knowing that we have the answer. It has to start with that wisdom. And having this deeper foundation, we will grow deeper as, as people. We will grow deeper in relationship. We will and be able to serve in new and, and more and, and important ways, helpful ways, because we're actually living lives that are true. We'll know what love truly is because we're experiencing life. And the last thing is we've got to actually then put it into practice. Do you know all three of those things are actually the three legs of our life group ministries, by the way? 
That our life group ministries, as we formed them, because we want to be disciples that build disciples, said, how did Jesus build disciples? What did he grow them in? Well, the well, first thing is he helped them grow in fellowship. He gave them identity, and they got together. The second thing that he helped them do is that he helped them teach the word, right? They were always learning, because they were talking to Jesus. Anytime you talk to him, right? It's the word. So they're learning. They're devoted to it. What else did they do? They served. Jesus sent them out to serve and to love one another. How did the early church grow? Same way. We're encouraging you to grow. If you need those, well, then I encourage you to continue to meet, to love one another, and to connect deeply. The Christians should be the last people on earth that are lonely as we have a God that is with us and has called us together. So let's grow together. Now, other ways that you can connect with this, or take this to, to heart and to, to action is as you take your connection card out. I've got some cool things. Oh, and that's this. You can memorize Galatians 6.12 or <clears throat> and uh, 6.2. To love one another in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Set that in your heart and your mind because I tell you that the, the temptation to live selfish lives is really strong, isn't it? We get tired Right? Our schedules get full. It's easy to live for me. It's easy to listen to all the reasons why I shouldn't. Let this be here. Love one another. Can you fulfill the law of Christ without loving one another? No. Love one another. This you will fulfill the law of Christ. Maybe set that to your heart and your mind. It's a great thing. The word of God prompts us. It helps us to live lives on track so we don't get taken by bad thinking. And also, you might want to read uh, Romans 12. Read the whole chapter. It's a great chapter. You want to see what, after, what comes after all of this and what we're supposed to be doing? This is a, a great chapter. Read Romans 12. And if you, A plus for you, you can read all of Romans because, man, what an amazing book that is. Or how about this? Have a ministry interview. If you're saying, I want to serve, I just don't know how. I've, I've got gifts, maybe. I don't know what they are. Come meet with me. We'll help you. We'll help you connect and grow and, 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 and get into ministry. That's what we do. So let me know. And if you sign that up, then you'll hear from us this week. We'll help you connect. Or about this? Maybe you need to join or lead or host a life group this fall. And I think we have enough host places, but we need to have people that are like hosts in training or leaders in training. So if you have that gift, you're like, maybe I don't know how to do this yet, but I, something I'm interested in, let us know. Or if you're not in a life group, I encourage you, this is where discipleship is happens, okay? Uh, connect in one. Maybe there's something else that you have. Let me know. Um, as a pastor, I, I, I certainly want to help shepherd you in a good way. And I, mean, I want to see how God is moving our body. It's important. So let me know how God's prompting you to respond in this. If you have another uh, response, um, let me know that too. Um, also, if you have a prayer request, write that down because we do. We pray for you every week. And I love knowing how to pray for you because then I can hear how the prayers are answered versus when I just pray for you, I pray what I, I ask God to do, whatever he's going to be doing in your life, which is good. But if we know, then I can share in the joy of how he's answering it, and, and you can too. So um, please let me know. I can pray for you. And here in a minute, we're going to take these and drop them in the offering basket. Drop this along with your tithes, your gifts, and uh, be good. We'll be praying for these in a second. But just one more thing beforehand is in your bulletins. You'll also notice before you go, here's something you can do that's not about you. And it's the, this is our next series coming up. I've been studying the book of Daniel for about a year now. I have read just about every commentary I could get my hands on. I've studied the whole thing over and over. Am I the world's biggest expert on Daniel? No, but I tell you what, just from what I have read and spending this year in the Word and praying over it, this is a really practical book that is really, really timely right now. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking the first, part one is the first six chapters, and then we're going to take a little break for the holidays, and we're going to go to the second six. We're going to talk about the prophecies. It's unbelievable. And what we call is Daniel, respectable faith in a, host, in, a, in a hostile age. I don't know if you've noticed, but Christianity is not really as widely embraced around the world right now. 
and, and even our culture. But Daniel was in a culture that was the same way, and he had this faith that was amazing. And it did amazing things, and he got to see amazing things. And we say, how do we have a respectable faith in this hostile age, right? It's, it's such an encouraging book. Um, we encourage you to, to come. Now, on the back, it kind of tells you a little about it and what the, each of the, the week's messages will be. Why I have this is not just for you to remember to come, but to invite somebody. Because one of the things is that this, the book of Daniel is an incredible book of, of encouragement. It reminds us that God has purpose, even when our life seems like they're kind of spinning out a little bit. If you know somebody in your life, you're praying for somebody, who can you invite to be part of this? And, and that's what we have this. And what you can say is, hey, my church is starting. Most people want to come. They know like Daniel's in the lion's den, so they have the lion on there. You know, we're studying this really cool book. It's 3,000 years old almost, this book. It's really cool. Would you like to come? And, and uh, we'd love to have you join us. A lot of people would love an invitation, so we encourage you to do that too. All right, so let's pray for, for our offering and for our, our commitments. We'll also pray for this upcoming series, and I'll let you go. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for you. I, Lord, you call us to hard things. Um, laying down our life is, is really kind of extreme and scary. And, um, and Lord, I, I admit even myself, there are times that it just seems like uh, it's intimidating. But Father, I, I look into your word and I look into, even to life and I see how true it is that when we lose our life for you, we actually find real life. And I also see in the world the futility of just living for ourselves and self-centeredness and that small thinking. And so God, I pray you would deliver us, your disciples, from, from the sway of this world, from the seduction that is just part of this culture. Father, help us to have our eyes open and to see the reality of our reality. This world is a vapor and you are coming back and we are living for bigger things and there is a hope that is so much more than the good economy or or a, a peace agreement between two nations. God, you have so much more. Help us to live for the so much more. Father, for those of us who right now are, are knowing that it's what we should but just don't have that, that, that conviction or that compassion and knowing that this is what we should do or how to do it, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would build that in our lives. But let us be people that live for you. Let us be people that because we live for you, love one another. Lord, I pray for our commitments that we make this week, whether we're memorizing scripture or we're, we're connecting with others, Father, or we're serving people and that we know, Father, I pray that you help us to keep those commitments that we're making to you in a way that grows us up in love and in fellowship and in truth. Father, knit us this church together in the bonds of love in Christ. Lord, I pray for our commitments as well as also, Father, our, our tithes and our offerings. Bless those, Lord not just as a way of of keeping the lights on, but, Father, a way of, of letting the light shine in this community and through us into this world. Grow your church, Lord, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.